Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast, the podcast for all things operations. Hello, Operate Intelligently listeners. This is your host, Joshua Peach, and we've got the beginning of what could be a series, the Profit Killers podcast series. Uh, and today I have manufacturing expert extraordinaire, Paul Lachance. And Paul has been in the manufacturing software space for a very long time, uh, 20 plus years. I'll let him give you a little bit more information about him. Uh, but today what we're going to focus on is really uh, what manufacturing facilities, uh, what people sometimes don't see or overlook is the profit killers based on the facility maintenance and management of the buildings and the, and the equipment that's inside of them that are building all of the amazing products around the world for us. So without further ado, Mr. Lachance, great to have you on again. Welcome back. Thanks, Josh. It's always fun to be here on the Operate Intelligently podcast. It's always great talking to you. Thank you. You, you as well, my friend. I'll tell you, we've had a lot of uh, new listeners. And, and, you know, what's interesting in this world is, as you and I relate to, my, my expertise is in, is in primarily education and local government. Your expertise is in manufacturing. They're all fixing things. Uh, we can say they all, they're all in buildings or they all have uh, pavement or anything. But there is some uniqueness to each vertical market in maintenance. Uh, tell us a little bit about what maintenance people in manufacturing do, what they're responsible for, and kind of what that, what that group looks like, how it's broken down, because there's probably a, a, a difference between someone that's, um, maybe, there's, uh, maybe there's someone that's working on the building itself, but others that are working on the equipment that manufacture products, or maybe I'm off on that. So maybe a little bit of an overview on that to get us started. You know, at the, you're not that far off. At the end of the day, maintenance professionals are maintaining assets, whether the asset is a building, facilities-oriented maintenance, or the assets are uh, those whirly-majig machines that are pumping out anything from face masks to sunglasses to automobiles. At the end of the day, you're trying to maintain those assets so that they last longer, they produce better quality products, um, and they, they uh, save, ultimately can help drive profitability in, in your organization by um, just stretching life of those assets and, and making sure that, they're, that, that, that it's being done as efficiently as possible. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, so what was a, it, when you, you started, I, I mentioned, I think you, you've been in this business how long? Uh, at least 25, 30 years, I think. I stopped trying to keep track, but I wrote my first CMMS, a maintenance operation system, back in 1993 or 94. It was my, my first system. So I've kind of grown up in the, primarily the manufacturing world, focused on maintenance operations. I've seen a lot of changes during that time, but at the end of the day, it all comes to the, down to the men and women who are maintaining those assets. We just want to arm them with the best quality software and solutions to make their job easier. Yeah, I was, that was going to be kind of my question to you is like, have you seen over the course of your career, I didn't realize it was 1993, have you seen, I'm sure you've seen over the course of your career, probably back in 1993, um, there, there may not have been as much focus or awareness and the opportunity for the facilities department and the facilities team to actually drive increased profitability for their, for their companies. Is that an accurate statement or... 
Um, has it always been, you know, hey, facilities can really drive profitability up for us? It, not only is that an accurate question, it's an excellent segue into uh, what, I, what I like to talk about, uh, quote unquote, what do maintenance people do? Early in my career, I was talking to uh, a mentor of mine, uh, uh, i just say an old timer who had been around the maintenance world for a long time. And he was giving me some coaching and he asked me a question. He said, what do maintenance people do? And my instant response was, well, they fix broken things. And he goes, well, you are technically correct. That's what they do. But what they really do, and I'm focusing a little more on manufacturing, but I think this is an applicable statement across all uh, areas where maintenance operations is being performed. But what maintenance professionals do is they increase the capacity of that organization. Um, they are able to, by allowing the assets to perform better, to last longer, uh, to have more uptime, they, they increase the capacity of the organization. And, and one of the examples that I like to use is, let's just say times are good. I know we're in a pandemic right now and a lot of manufacturers are suffering right now uh, across the globe. Um, but some of them are also very busy, whether they're producing PP&E or whatever it is they're doing. Say you need to make an increase of your production by 10%. Maybe in good times, sales are good. Um, so how are you going to increase by 10%? Well, the, the legacy thought was, well, you're going to have to maybe run three shifts a day or run shifts over the weekend. Or maybe you're going to have to build out a whole other production line and get the assets and the people and the parts to do that. Or instead, you increase your uptime from 90% to 95%. That's an arbitrary number. But by increasing that uptime, you are able to stretch what your assets are doing by just having better performing assets that are running more, off, running more of the time. It's way less expensive to do that. It's way more cost effective and ultimately helps drive profitability. So what maintenance people really do is they increase the productivity and the capacity and the capability of the manufacturers that they work for. Yeah, you know, when you talk about the pandemic and we talk about, you know, uptime and equipment time and uh, I think the, the greatest example of when equipment doesn't run for whatever the reason, um, and we can relate the pandemic because our whole supply chain is completely upside down right now, right? Because, um, and, and a lot of it is because many of our manufacturing facilities were closed or running skeleton crews, you know, March, April, May, and, and part of June. And I, I put into perspective, I actually had a conversation with someone about this the other day. Uh, I was on a flight. I think I, I told you a story couple years ago, I was on a flight from uh, Madison, Wisconsin home, and I had met a, a gentleman that, that actually just happened to sit next to me that applied for a, a job with a manufacturing facility that manufactures lawnmower blades. It was the most fascinating conversation because I learned about not just the, the, the manufacturing, but how many they manufacture in a day. Uh, they basically, one is produced and pressed every second of every day, 24 hours a day. So when you go down for even an hour, your production is decreased significantly, right? 3,600 lawnmower blades or something like that. Um, that, that really, that puts a huge, uh, that, that puts a huge damper on what you're doing and sets you back quite a bit. Um, and when you talk about 90 to 95% uptime, that doesn't sound like a lot. It actually sometimes is, right? Because um, for whatever reason, keeping those pieces of equipment up and running effectively and efficiently for that, that added 5% takes a lot of additional work that 
sometimes might have strained staff or strained budgets, uh, uh, you know, as well. Uh, so it takes some work and takes some, some planning uh, to do that. And I think that, you know, like I say, this pandemic, I think has probably given us uh, a thousand examples. Like you can't find paper towels. It's not because uh, they don't want to sell them to you. They can't get them to you. It's that they're not manufacturing them at the capacity that they need to, to get, to get out to everybody. Right. Is that kind of a good, yeah, good, you're, you're... good example without getting into the, to the nuts and the bolts of maintenance? Well, I mean, the lawnmower, the lawnmower blade example is a perfect one because most organizations, manufacturers can measure down to the minute what it costs for them to have that downtime. Downtime is one of the kings of profit killers. Um, there's, there's a variety of profit killers, whether it's your team and things like overtime, improper balance of work or ineffectiveness of the team because they don't have good instructions around spare parts like you talked about the disruption to the supply chain you, you, you there's nothing worse than having a um, an asset that's down maybe you're making lawnmower blades and mm. and you're down unexpectedly and you go to get that spare part and it's not there that's called a stock out and those things are profit killers and just like you said in a pandemic those stock outs getting that spare part becomes more and more difficult because of the disruption to the supply chain. But there's other profit killers around parts, such as poor ordering and loss and theft. And even things that cross over for profit killers around, say, safety and compliance. If you have an ISO compliance and, you, and you, you're at risk because you're, for whatever reason, those things can really hurt. Hurts from fees, fines, insurance hikes, bad will. So all these different profit killers from downtime, uh, and, and beyond, you want to try to avoid those. And that's why I always come back to the maintenance professionals are key to that, but to arm them with CMMS software that can really help identify where those bad actors, those, those pains, or those profitability hurting uh, costs are so you can remedy and fix that. Ready to get inspired about your work as a facility or operations professional? Join us at our annual Maintenance and Operations Conference, Dude University in Raleigh, North Carolina, May 16th to 19th, 2021. Our four-day experience for operations professionals is packed with education, training, and networking opportunities you'll actually benefit from. It's our way of celebrating you, so you can go back to your organization with renewed confidence and inspiration. Learn more and register online at university.dudesolutions.com. Yeah, you're pinging my brain with all these these great points, and I want to dig into kind of what you just put in, which is, you know, what, what's what's the role that maintenance and their, the maintenance team can play to become more profitable? Maybe some examples. One of the things that you just talked about was stockouts, and one of the things that a lot of people sometimes don't get. I, I was actually at a American made American made manufacturing facility recently that the the mold the the mold making machines. They're made in Germany and it's like the only company that makes this type of machine. And I asked them, you know, how many parts do you keep on, on, do you, you know, what, what parts do you keep on, on hand and how difficult is it to get the parts if you don't have them? And it's like, even at best, if you have to order parts that are in Germany, you know, it's, it's going to be an eight, nine, 10 hour flight, even if, even if you know, so having those, having that proper maintenance plan and inspection and making sure that you're safe and compliant will give you that ability to have visibility 
to, uh, to, to be properly ordering uh, parts that you might need uh, sooner than later and not have, uh, you know, a long, a long downtime or outage. What are some other examples? Because you, you've probably got a thousand of them. I mean, I've got like six. So uh, <laughs> give, give me a couple of your good ones. Well, you know, when you break it down, in terms of your profitability journey, and really that comes from controlling costs, I like to break it down into three pillars. And software is probably the first of those pillars. You know, the CMMS, the EAM, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the dude solutions products that we do, um, like our asset essentials, and say um, parts, for example, if it's going to be eight weeks for you to get a part, and that's not, that's not an impossible number to hear. You, you hear those kind of things for specialty parts, especially in the pandemic disruptions. It's really essential that your software can tell you, hey, you're going to need X of these parts next week or next month because they've been reserved. Or you're low on parts. What parts are you low on? And can you kick off some, uh, a report or a, an email or a chime on your mobile device, say, hey, you're low on these parts. So you at least know in advance that you're going to be low on those parts. But the software, I think the first pillar has a variety of types of, uh, of features within it that are going to help you avoid uh, those, pro those, those, those profit killers. You, you, downtime is another example. If you look at what information, the data, the reporting, and the analytics that your, your CMMS software, your maintenance and operations software can show you, where are your bad actors? What is the sources of your downtime? If you are able to look at all those historical work orders that you have in the system, you can spot trends. You can see our top 10 failure codes are, or our top 10 bad performing assets are, and you get those lists, you know where you need to focus. So really any of those profit, profit killers, whether it be labor or asset or parts oriented, there's very typically different uh, features and functionality in, in maintenance operations software that can show you where those problems are and help you remedy those problems before they actually happen. That ultimately would drive profitability. Yeah, one of the things that you, that you touched on that I think is also interesting, not just touching on profitability, but talking about, I guess, educating the boards or the owners of the company or whoever is at the top that's, that's in an office is, is uh, labor optimization. Uh, I was out in, uh, in Western Massachusetts at another facility, um, and they showed me how they were, they were at 90, I think they were actually at 98% PM completion month over month. Uh, which meant that they were getting to 98% of the PM tasks that were in their system. So, you know, the people weren't just sitting in the break room waiting for something to break. They were out proactively making sure that things were working. And that's something that they were extremely proud of. Um, I think you probably know the account. I'm sure you know the account. Um, they were extremely proud of, uh, and they, then they show that off and people, you know, even if you're not wildly more profitable, at least you're as profitable as you can be because, you know, 98% completion is, is uh, you don't see that everywhere. But may, on the flip side of that, you're able to generate those reports and do that labor optimization to make sure people are get, we're getting the most out of our team that we can possibly get. That was one of the Yeah, that, th that's a great example. I mean, 98%, I guarantee you that organization is more profitable for that. It's a different client, but I've got data that shows, you know, one client, for every 1% increase, in that ratio. So if they went from 50-50 to 51 PM, 
49 corrective and then 52. For every 1% increase in that ratio, it, it, it saves them annually $26,000. So, and, and the math is actually quite simple on that. The average PM work order cost for this client is $52. The average corrective maintenance work order cost is $400. You know, it, when you have good, uh, not only the good software, but, you know, there's also methodologies, best practices, and services that go along with that, and you can shift those ratios from corrective to preventive maintenance you will improve that profitability. That math is quite simple to see. And not only that, it just makes a better work environment. It's safer. The team is happier. Morale is better. So they, they should not only, they should be darn proud of that, that percentage because it's awesome. I like to call them the enlightened ones. Mm -hmm. And conversely, you find the people are on the other end of that spectrum that are in firefighting mode. They're not yeah. happy campers and they're definitely not nearly as profitable as a result. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and and I think one of the things that's worth pointing out because I've just I've seen so many. I'm sure you're. I think you're on social media every once in a while. I see on LinkedIn. Um, there's so many people out there that are just posting. You know, they're just throwing numbers out of you know um, ROI and and you know average cost per work order. But that number that you threw out is unique to that client when they have the data that's specific to their account. Like we can talk about an average cost per work order, an average cost per PM, but having that, that software program or having that, that, that system in place that you can actually put your actual work in and the true cost of it uh, gets you those averages. So it's not just like, you know, someone can't just sit and say, well, our average, you know, reactive work order is $400. And if we get a proactive one, it's 62. You really need to have your own set of data points and your own work history to really start to pull that in and get that, that true detail uh, to be able to measure that. There's no doubt the CMMS software, you know, the analogy I often use is like when you're driving down your car, you're driving down, in a mo uh, down the road in a Model T Ford yeah. and you hear the engine start to shake or you start to see it smoke and you look at that dashboard, it's not going to tell you anything. You, you, you can't tell, you know, that those old cars, you just, you can't tell, you just smell it and you got to pull over. You drive down the road in a Tesla and you're having any sort of an issue with that vehicle, there's going to be a metric, there's going to be something on that screen that's gonna tell you where your problems are. That's what CMMS software, that's well implemented, uh, where you have good practices, but that's where it's really gonna shine and identify those problems. And the same example with the, that data, that metrics, those reporting and analytics. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great example. If you haven't been in a Tesla, I was lucky enough to get an Uber in one in uh, San Diego. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's constantly pinging data points um, and everything. Well, I mean, when you have auto, auto drive, uh, you got to know where the red lights and green lights are coming in, but uh, a thousand other things are happening to make sure that it's optimally performing and that the battery is, is running, you know, the right way so that it's not uh, draining too fast or that you're fully aware before you uh, run out of juice because it's not as simple as bringing a gas can out to you. So I, I love that, that example. Um, you mentioned three pillars. That's a, the first one is, is uh, you know, a software program, CMS, you know, some form of a software program, and then what that can do for you. What, let's, let's dig on the second, the second pillar. Well, the second pillar I like to talk about is best practices, methodologies, and, and there's a variety of them. Um, some that I've recently been lecturing and featuring are 5S and Six Sigma, Kaizen, total productive maintenance. There's a whole bunch of these, but at the end of the day, 
all of these best practices and methodologies are really trying to steer the organization to operate more lean, I say in quotes, lean manufacturing, or to really, to really focus on continuous improvements um, so that you can make small incremental changes to improve not only your maintenance operations, but your overall manufacturing operations. Ultimately, that's going to be uh, help control costs, create a, a safer work environment for the team, and, and drive profitability. Uh, one in particular that I'm, I'm a big fan of, and I think everybody listening to the podcast will probably agree, is 5S. 5S is a foundational uh, methodology or best, best practice, stands for, there's five S's. This, is, this originated in, um, essentially in Japanese manufacturing is where it first uh, became popular. It goes, it, the origins go back to 16th century Venice shipbuilding, Venice, Italy. Um, but it stands for sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and sustain. And the reason why I, I, I talk about this and how appropriate it is for today is because I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming like, like me, your closets, your garage, your basement, your attic is probably a lot more organized because we've all been kind of cooped up at home and we've organized things. So you know, 5S is a great one that it's good not only for manufacturing, it's good for all of us. So you know, basically it's sorting so that you only have the appropriate items you need to have in your operating environment and re essentially removing the unnecessary ones set in order is let's put these things in the right order. So everything essentially gets sorted and set up in a really optimal format. The third S is shine, clean it up, make sure everything. It's really hard to tell when your asset is performing poorly um, if it's super dirty. If you can't see the leak, you can't smell it because it's dirty. So you got you to shine things. And then standardize, this becomes a standard process. Finally, and my favorite, is sustain or self-discipline. And that's where these processes become normal. It becomes a natural process. Do without being told. Now, I've been trying to train my kids about 5S concepts before I knew the phrase for a long time. But in manufacturing and in maintenance operations, you, know, you picture that stock room or you picture that tool room or a production area where it's a mess. It's hard to maintain. It's hard for people to work in that environment. A 5S methodology foundationally will improve things, and that will in turn make it easier to maintain, and that snowballs into reducing costs and improving profitability. Yeah, well, as I told you before we started, I'm actually in my basement uh, as I'm in the process of transforming a space down here for uh, virtual keynotes and, and, uh, and, and speaking. Uh, and I'm sitting here looking at a wall that uh, a week and a half ago was just completely disheveled and a mess. And I've got eight foot wide, uh, five tiers of shelving, uh, fully organized with everything. I think it's in alphabetical order, it seems like. So uh, definitely the pandemic is getting us the, that 5S mindset here on this, this side of the world. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm playing through as I'm listening to you, you know, a lot of times people will use a combination of a number of different best practices or, or methodologies. Is that something you see in manufacturing or do they stick to like, Hey, we're six Sigma and that's all we're going to focus. On. I know there's certifications for most or all of these. Um, do, you, do you see people taking a little bit of each that makes sense for them or do they, they kind of stick and say, this is the methodology we want to stick to. And, and we're just going to be five S all the way down. 
they're complementary, and there's no one methodology that will, will cover everything a manufacturer needs. 5S is, is extremely generic. It kind of, 5S actually um, sits underneath a best practice methodology think, tool set called total productive maintenance, which mm -hmm. is a large methodology which ultimately, um, it very, very, very high level broadly says, everybody in an organization is responsible for, for maintenance. From the CEO down to the brand new apprentice that just started working for operations. And everybody's responsible for maintenance. And you have, to, you have to take your assets and you have to own those assets. So for example, in that particular case, TPM, Total Productive Maintenance, one of its pillars is called autonomous maintenance. So you picture a factory and you picture the operators of those assets, those men and women that are standing there near those assets all day, they're feeding parts, they're punching in the buttons, they're, they're, they're babysitting those assets or they're actively working those assets. Those people, you know, they're part of production. They're not part of maintenance. But TPM, a methodology called TPM, says those operators, you know, they can start their shift every day with some basic cleaning, some basic lubrication, some basic tightening of those assets, the proven things that will, will make those assets run more effectively, more efficiently. So those people essentially become an arm of the maintenance team. They're not maintenance people, but they, 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 everybody is responsible for maintenance. 5S sits underneath that. That operator is going to be able to do that job better if that asset is clean, if that asset is in, uh, in the things they need to do, the tightening lubricating are, are well laid out. So many ways these things are complementary to one another. So there is no one. You have to look at your goals and objectives of what you're trying to get better at. Six Sigma, as you mentioned, is a highly statistical analysis thing that's really trying to, to, eliminate, uh, to limit the variability of, of, of the manufacturing process. So it gets into high statistics. So, you know, they all, depending upon what you're trying to achieve, you, there's going to be a methodology or best practice that's really going to help you achieve that. Um, and, they, and they interrelate with one another. Okay, so check out everything, find what fits, take the, take, make it complimentary and, uh, and run with it. So, uh, so that brings us to the, to the, to the, the, you said there's three pillars, so that brings us to our third pillar, unless I missed something on the second. I don't think I did. No, I think you've covered the second one. And then just okay. to, to add to your comment there, these phrases, Six Sigma and 5S and Kaizen and TPM, Google them, look at them. It's really helpful if you are in the maintenance operations part of your business and you might hear of a Six Sigma um, initiative going on. You will be able to contribute, and it's good for you to understand these things if you don't hear about this stuff and you're thinking, well, I need to know more, read about it. And it, it, there's all kinds of great resources to learn more, including classes, green belt, black belt in the Six Sigma world to get, it, to get actual certified in it. So the third pillar, the big number three, what, is that, what does that one entail? And tell me a little bit about that. Services. Software is important, but people will sometimes try to implement a, a maintenance operation solution, a CMMS solution, to try to solve problems that they're having with their maintenance operations. If you don't do a good job implementing that software, it's just going to make your bad problems go faster. 
So it's really important to understand that um, software is only as good as the quality of its implementation. It's only as good as how well your people are trained. It's only as good as the quality of the data that you're bringing into the system. So that third pillar is around services. And you know, there's, there's several buckets, implementation, training, data migration, interfaces, and, and support. And you really want to make sure when you're looking at uh, how can I improve my profitability by controlling my maintenance-related expenses, software and best practices, yes, that's part of the journey. But you can't do any – if you don't have that software properly implemented, you don't have good quality data in there, it's not going to matter. So you really have to make sure that you, you do focus on this to, to, to get that solidly implemented solution. Yeah, we call it, uh, I used to always call it garbage in, garbage out uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, if you don't have the right services, the right people and the right plan to implement, it it, it won't get, it, the software only does so much and it only does as much as what the people that are using it uh, and, and, and utilizing it uh, do. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's great stuff. You know, we, we've been talking for the last number of months since March um, a lot has been COVID focused for obvious reasons, um, you know, trying to help our, our clients and our prospective clients. You know, how does all of what we just talked about, how does that all tie in to, to, uh, to COVID? You know, COVID-19 and the pandemic has been a, um, obviously a, an incredibly tough time for everybody involved, but I'm an eternal optimist. And I believe that what we are learning during this pandemic will make us stronger organizations. There's a number of benefits to what we've learned in the pandemic. I think some of the most important ones are helping us understand how important it is to be lean. You know, we talked about some examples earlier, say more normal times when you're super busy from in the manufacturing world and you just kind of can't keep up with demand across the board. Well, you've got to figure out how to do more with less in that situation. Likewise, those of us who are impacted where things are slow and you're either partially shut down um, or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever you're being slowed down by, you've got to be efficient still. You still have to try to eke out in the manufacturing for profit world. You've got to figure out how to, to eke out a, a profit. How can you do that? Well, by doing more with less. So those efficiencies we learn that can help control costs and drive profitability in, a good, in good times can be done in these tough times of COVID-19 pandemic. So it, you know, that, those things we talked about in terms of those best practices, 5S, and, and how you can use the software to identify those bad actors, those things are going to help us in good times and bad times. Another one is this work from anywhere concept. I mean, supported by the cloud and mobile solutions, who would have thought that manufacturers could spend a chunk of their day working from home um, and, and still get some work done, still manage your work order process, still take those meetings with Zoom, still do that analysis into the data to figure out where you need to make improvements. Cloud-based software, mobile uh, solutions really help us do that. So COVID-19 has been a, a global tragedy on uh, both economically and, and human, uh, of course. But I, you know, when, you, when you look at the things we've learned that will make us stronger leading into the future, it really, is help, it really will help us 
during this pandemic and the next curveball that inevitably will hit us. Yeah, you know, you make a great point in, in thinking about um, a, a podcast we did with uh, local government, and they're talking about how uh, building inspectors are going out and and sitting at, you know outside the house, and the residents or the builder is using Skype and going over all of the things that have been done. You know, when you talk about work from anywhere, in many cases through COVID, in many different industries, I suspect manufacturing is one. What's determined as an essential worker? Your essential worker is, is undoubtedly the technician, um, but a supervisor, crazy to think about, but the supervisor might not be, and they're working from, they're working from home or working from anywhere, um, leveraging technology like Skype and other tools to be able to, to virtually be there with that technician to help and support them as well as to monitor and manage the workload, the workflow and everything else. That's, a, that's definitely something that I think while, you know, one of the things that's, that, that, that is, is all, all these things that people are doing and, and with new best practices and, and the work from home, work from anywhere, um, all, a lot of these technologies and this innovation was already there. People just weren't using it, right? It's like, you know, uh, online banking. I don't think anybody's ever going to walk in a bank again because you couldn't walk into a bank for two months. So you got used to that process, but that's been around forever. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I think what COVID has done has 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 gotten people to adapt uh, adopt a lot of uh, a lot of process and technology that's been out there that they just you know if it ain't broke don't fix it and nobody likes change and I think that's something that I'm seeing you know across the board with with a lot of folks and I think one of the takeaways in listening to you is like if you're busy if if you've got lots of orders to fill you're busy if you don't have lots of orders to fill. You're busy trying to fill the orders that you got and figure out how to get more uh, and become more efficient. So that the end of the day, a facility staff member uh, is never not busy, whether it's good or it's bad. They're always trying to figure out how to do better. And that's why lean, you know, lean operations, lean manufacturing, lean maintenance. It's all about doing more with less. Arm those people. How can they still get that done? And again, in the manufacturing world, it is all about controlling those costs as a result of those lean processes to ultimately drive improved profitability or at least keep up with things until you can truly get busy for good reasons again. Yeah. I'd like to close this out with, with I, I guess, a question to you um, that I think will be interesting. Um, you've been I mean, I, I, do you, I know roughly how many education institutions I've been in. Uh, I'm sure you know roughly how many manufacturing facilities you've been in, but it's, it's well over a thousand, right? That you've, that you've walked the, you've walked the floor. So you've been around a long time. Um, if someone's listening to this and, and just in general, like, you know, what are some things, what are, what are their key, what are some key takeaways that someone that is in a position where they're unsure if they're operating lean they're unsure if they're using the three pillars maybe they're unsure if they have the right technology what are some what would you suggest or if you were in their shoes um and being in the shoes a, a number of times what what would you be doing right now like you get you get done listening to this podcast and you go hmm i think i'm missing some i think i'm missing some key pieces that are really kill, that could be considered profit killers what, what would you suggest to the listeners that are in that position well, first, I would start by opening up a conversation to sort of get educated on what are the possible steps you can to make those small incremental improvements. I mean, clearly having a conversation 
with somebody from Dude Solutions or somebody who can help educate you on where you would even get started. I mean, ultimately, you're going to have to address probably all three of those pillars. Software is an easy conversation to have. There's, you know, we've got quality software that can help um, do that. But you, you, you know, you got to start that conversation with learning more about that. But even before that, it starts with, I think, getting with your team and starting to make a list of those goals and objectives, those pain points, those processes. You kind of have to admit where you're having trouble and admit that you can make improvements. You're just going to have to make the investment and the time to do that. So often I'll hear people say, I don't have the time to think about implementing maintenance software. It's silly to say you don't have the time to make continuous improvement. You've got to take some time to make those improvements, but it's a contagious process. Continuous improvement, if you do it right, aided by good quality software, aided by the services it takes to get off that ground, aided by improving some of those uh, processes through the best practices and methodologies, it has a, a positive snowball effect. But it starts with that sort of self-reflection that we need to make some improvements. We are going to be willing to take some time to put into it because it's going to pay off. Um, it's going to pay off big in terms of the dollars you will eventually save, the happier team, and so forth. But again, it just starts with a conversation um, and, and, and baby steps to kind of kick it off and then grow it from there. Yeah, it's funny. I always, you know, I have the, the pretty extensive sales background. Uh, and anytime that I was confronted with someone that says they don't have the time to look at it, I always, you know, kind of look at them and say, if you don't have the time to look at it, then you absolutely have to look at it because we want to find you some time. And, uh, and that's one of the things that, that using those three pillars and leveraging technology and making sure that you have the right services in place uh, enables that, that addition of opportunity. I mean, you can't go from, you can't go from 90% to 95% without finding efficiencies and, and more effective uh, processes and efficient uh, equipment. Um, to give you more time to do it. And it's not, time's not manufactured. We're all given 168 hours in a week. Um, but we were able to look at different ways of doing things that might be able to, to, to give us some of that time back that we're maybe not utilizing to, to our best capacity. Um, there is, is no magic bullet to this. You're absolutely right. You, you know, it, but the thing is, if you've got a good partner and, and, and you have the emotional investment and in, in, into getting it done. I, I'm telling you, I call them the enlightened ones, like that example, that client you mentioned yeah. in Western Mass. You know, those people are much happier campers than the firefighting maintenance teams that we, we so often see. Oh, yeah, hands down. I mean, I went in there. Uh, they were uh, calm, cool, and collected. And they gave me uh, an unbelievable tour. Uh, they were very aware of, of everything going on around them. Uh, they had a great, they had great visibility into the horizon uh, because facilities is tough, right? For, for 90 plus percent of facilities teams, it's tough because, you know, while it might be exciting to have, be doing something different every day, you don't know how big or small that difference is going to be. Uh, and catastrophic failure, when you talk about the difference between a reactive and a proactive work order, that reactive work order costing that much more money is because there's some, typically some sort of ca catastrophic breakdown, kind of like the Castrol commercials. Uh, viscosity breakdown that uh, that's gonna that's gonna be expensive and uh, if you can if you can bring those percentages like you say every one percent 
um, if you can start to sway that percentage to having that visibility and that that pre pre preparedness for preventive work, um, you're you are a much happier person. Uh, you are a much more organized person too, like my shelves down here. So uh, uh, this is great. I think we we I think we scraped on a whole bunch of things that we could dig even deeper into. I think I'll give you any last words, and we'll we'll look forward to uh, part two down the road. Thanks, Josh. It's always fun to do this, and um, appreciate the time. And thank you very much. No, appreciate you, my friend. We'll we'll get you on the docket here for uh, another upcoming episode. And uh, to our listeners, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't say thank you enough. Uh, you guys are giving us tons of feedback. We're we're taking it. Uh, every episode we're trying to fill uh, with your requests of what you'd like to hear more about. Uh, this is this is made for you. Uh, we're just we're just happy to be able to host it. Uh, if you can if you like the podcast and you you want us to keep going and get more people to listen, please do a rating and review on the Apple uh, I, uh, the Apple Podcast platform. Uh, that's what gets us additional visibility and grows our podcast to a, a larger market uh, when people do searches for podcasts of what we do. Um, and as I say, in, in many of these episodes closing, uh, thank you for the tireless work that all of our maintenance and operations professionals, not, not just dude clients, anyone in the maintenance and operations field, you've worked tirelessly for the last six months. You've prob probably more likely than not, you've worked tirelessly your entire career, um, but hasn't been seen as much as it has been recently. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, stay safe, keep at it. And, uh, you know, we're one day closer to hopefully getting back to uh, where we were six short months ago. That'll do it from here. And we look forward to sharing another episode with you real soon. Thanks for listening to the Operate Intelligently podcast produced by Dude Solutions. You can reach us by emailing dspodcast at dudesolutions.com or check us out on the web at dudesolutions.com.